Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Hockey PDO Cast is brought to you by Get Down BP, which brings people together with the goal of getting blood pressure down in a fun and interactive way. Progressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Well, there have been one or two developments in Edmonton, as mm. as you may know, so uh, that's that's mostly what's up. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's safe to say it's reached DEFCON 1 levels in Edmonton these days. And the funny thing, oh, I guess funny for me, maybe not funny for, for you or others, is that, you know, when I threw up the bat signal in the air yesterday and we finally arranged this thing, that was before uh, the Blues went and hung eight goals on their heads last night. So somehow things got even worse. I You know, I thought they were going to be, this was going to be a very grim conversation. And boy, was I, uh, I think, I feel like I undersold it in my plans. I feel like it's, uh, it's gotten even worse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and we, like, we booked this after the Oilers had their two worst hockey games of the year, and then they managed to outdo themselves. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. It's, I, uh, I appreciate oh, their, uh, I appreciate their flair for the dramatic here. Yeah, you know, I, I think the only thing I can say about last night is that even in the rebuild years, it would have been a notably bad game. Mm. I, whew, and, it, it was bad. Well, and the thing that makes it worse is that it was a pretty quiet NHL night. Um, like they were, for the most part, they were sort of. The, I mean, they were the national game, but they were. It was mostly, you know, everyone kind of had their eyes glued to that game in particular. So it wasn't like if it was on a, you know, on a Saturday or something. There's like eight games going on at once. It's kind of easier to to sort of go unnoticed a little bit. Although I guess when you're giving up eight goals, people are gonna eventually uh, start cracking jokes on Twitter. But uh, here we are. Yeah, it's. Um, you know what? The other funny thing is mostly for these shows, I sort of have like a, a bit of a rundown or guiding notes to lead us in different directions. And for this one, I mean, it's it's such a tire fire that I honestly decided not to make any notes. We're just going to kind of freewheel it and see where it takes us. Yeah, that sounds good. You just uh, point me in the right direction and, and uh, <laughs> we'll, well, we'll pick it apart. You're the right man to talk to about this, to do this Oilers deep dive with because, um, you know, obviously you follow this team very closely and we've had countless conversations about this team on this podcast in the past, but you also wrote uh, uh, just a mind-blowingly deep 20-game uh, review 
of their season so far. I don't even know. I can't even imagine how many words that was or how long it took you to do. But uh, it was uh, it was pretty thorough, man. I feel like you kind of covered all the bases. So I, I guess we'll just do sort of a, an audio book version of that. And we'll just go <laughs> go kind of from top to bottom and try to figure out um, what's gone wrong, uh, what's gone right, and sort of this team's outlook both for the rest of this season and moving ahead as well. That sounds great. All right. Well, I guess that's a good sort of guiding question for us here. What's gone wrong, right? Because heading into the season, um, people were obviously very excited and optimistic about this team. I mean, they just had their most successful season in ages and look good doing so. And, you know, having a player like Connor McDavid in tow will let your imagination run wild and... I believe they had the best Stanley Cup odds for any Western Conference team. They were second just behind the Penguins. And you and I did a did a podcast before the year where we weren't we weren't doing a power rankings for this season. We were more so doing an organizational power rankings or which team you'd want to take over. And you were immensely high on the Edmonton Oilers and I was I was high on them as well, I have to admit, but I, I feel like I had at least a few more reservations and sort of the startling thing to me um is that all of the reasons you would have had for sort of uh, kind of stepping on the brakes or kind of being cautious in your optimism of them have have come to fruition and we're only a quarter of the way through the season. Like it took, it took so little time for pretty much all of those concerns to materialize. Well, and the the thing is the things that I really liked about the Oilers in the off season, when we were looking at sort of this long-term, which team would you, you most like to take over those things all still stand like, uh, and, and particularly McDavid and Dreisaitl, but, but there are other positives on the roster that, that are there. But I, I feel like we all, like there were a lot of people sounding the alarms in the offseason just to kind of dampen expectations a little bit. Uh, people who were saying things like the Oilers' schedule last year was, was easier than it regularly is. Uh, the Oilers had basically perfect health last season, which never happens. Nobody... Nobody manages to stay that lucky long term. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, Cam Talbot, you know, played just an insane number of games and, and played brilliantly the whole year. A bunch of guys had career years, and and it's interesting to me that the guys who had career years all ended up getting kept, and all the guys who you might have expected to rebound got shipped out of town. That's so interesting was... is one word for it, Jonathan. <laughs> yes, well, we'll we'll find other words mm. along the way. Yeah. But but the thing about it is when you do that, like any team's going to have a mix of players that are that are having ups and downs in any given year, and when you take out all the guys who had downs and and just keep the guys who had ups, it it reduces the ability of your team to compensate when those guys who had the ups come and regress to the mean, right? Um, You don't have regression working both ways because you got rid of all the guys who are going to be better. So so there were reasons for caution, and and everything has been borne out, and then you have uh, six to eight players who have had just really bad years, and you you mix it, and particularly the goaltender, which is always a killer. But then you mix in some, some bad fortune, because they are, they do have great shot metrics. Their chance metrics aren't as great as their shot metrics, but they're still good. Mm-hmm. But you mix in some poor fortune with that. They're they're not so good. They can outrun, uh, you know, a sort of a, a poor shooting percentage run and a poor goaltending run simultaneously. So there there's a lot there's a lot there. Um, I, I think 
if you told me that they were going to be down from their their points a year ago, it, even that they would have struggled to make the playoffs, I wouldn't have been greatly shocked, even though I really believe in the team's core long term. Mm-hmm. But to have them where they are, I, whew, I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Yeah, and well, I mean, the troubling thing, uh, spinning it forward, would be, you know, whenever you have the type of expectations that the Oilers had, um, whether they were just or not, heading into the season, and you uh, come up this short, it's it's very hard to sort of uh, kind of take a step back. And um, if you're running the team or if you're associated with them, to take a step back and sort of take a bigger picture of you and preach patience because you know, your job is on the line and you're in the hot seat and you're feeling a ton of pressure. And I imagine there's uh, a lot of incentive to make some sort of a move that shows that, you know, you're doing your job and you're trying to get the team out of this funk. And that's generally sort of the worst thing you can do because that sort of overreactionary thing where you're dealing from a, you know, a place of weakness or desperation tends to lead to, uh, kind of a compounding effect where you're just sort of adding on to your woes. And um, I bring that up like because... You, like you do something like trade Hall for Larson because you need a defenseman, Exactly. Right? And well... Something crazy. And I mean, let's not even get to the uh, topic of trading for need, which just drives me up a wall always. I mean, just acquire... Just how about this? This is a crazy idea, Jonathan. How about just get a team with as many good players as you can, regardless of where they play, and then just let the talent win out and figure everything out later, rather than just trying to get, you know, second-pairing defensemen and third-liners and all this stuff. I mean, it just, it just drives me crazy when NHL teams do that. But now, I mean, you know, you're hearing all these reports that the Oilers are in, in the market for a defenseman again, and obviously it's very easy to make a lot of, uh, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins one-for-one one jokes, but I feel like those jokes might be... Uh, a bit too on the nose like i i don't know it seems like well, it's a... I, I mean seriously if you woke up tomorrow and ryan nugent hopkins had been traded for david savard one for one that's really not out of step with what the gm has done in the past yeah no that wouldn't <laughs> like be surprising it's, it's, it's not a joke it's not so farcical that you can't believe it <laughs> oh boy that would that would yeah so that, that but that's exactly what i mean where it's i feel like at this point if you're trading ryan nugent hopkins who um as 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 you alluded to in your uh in your 20 game breakdown his results have been mixed this year as 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 much as the teams but at least you know the percentages have been in his favor so the coach has been talking him up so maybe that'll kind of save them from themselves in in terms of making a panic move with him but he does seem like the most obvious candidate yeah it it's um it you have to be careful not to read too much into the the or I guess not to draw too direct a line between the percentages and the coach talking him up. I, I think the percentages have probably increased Nugent Hopkins' stock generally within the organization. But Todd McClellan has always been a fan. Like last year when there were all kinds of uh, criticisms, or last year, two years ago. Anyway, whenever there have been criticisms of him along the line, the coach has stepped up and said, no, I really believe in this player. Mm-hmm. So so that that at least is not a change. I But I... I I did make the joke that the percentages might trick the Oilers into doing the right thing with Nugent Hopkins. Yeah. Okay. So if I know the if I know the PDOcast listeners right now, they're they're waiting with bated breath for us to uh, deliver someone's head on a silver platter. And I mean, someone. There's a lot of blame to go around when things go this poorly. I mean, I'm let me pull up the standings here. Where are the Oilers at right now? I mean, they're 28th in the league. Uh, in points, and I believe, uh, yeah, only Arizona, Buffalo, and Montreal have a worse goal differential than them. So things are pretty bleak. And 
we need to start divvying out some of the blame for for what's gone wrong here. So, where do you want to start with that? Who who is on the top of your list in terms of when you're kind of pointing the finger? Well, it's probably the guy at the top of the organizational depth chart, um, the the general manager. He made so many. I like the the problem with the GM is that he's never been trying to build the best team he could build. He has consistently and and you know it's not even just one deal you can point to three four deals where he has leaked talent in the name of um addressing specific things and you know getting bigger and getting better defensively and and knocking those goals against down even when it means that you have a bigger loss on the goals for side which matters just as much uh particularly this season (laughs) Man, Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom did not look like a good trade at the time. We we talked about it over the summer. Yep. It looks like an even worse trade now. That and it's that's not the people say. Well, you know, that's not the one thing that would that uh, that doomed the Oilers. No, it it isn't. But you know, Jordan Eberle, he's on pace for for twenty five plus goals again, and and Ryan Strom is you know drowning as a third line center. So it, it was a bad deal at the time. It looks worse now. Um, Chris Russell got a four-year, four million per extension in the off-season, along with no move protection. He got bumped to the third pairing five games into the year, um, <laughs> so that's not ideal. Uh, Milan Lucic has not been great. Uh, not addressing the, the Sakura injury has not been great. There, there have been a, a ton of problems with that end. Well, I mean, in in Peter Shirelli and Milan Lucic's defense, I mean, uh, plotting big physical forwards who are about to turn 30 and have another five plus years on their deal. I mean, that's, that's bound to work out well in the years to come. I mean, I feel like his best years are still ahead of him. It's funny before they, I like two weeks before they signed Lucic, I wrote a piece for the, when I was with the journal, I I wrote a piece for them about how um, the best case scenario for the Oilers would be Milan Lucic signing a long-term extension with the LA Kings because Edmonton was this up-and-coming king team and LA was one of these clubs that had to pass and if if they had that albatross there that would make it easier for the Oilers to do that well nope (laughs) not so much I mean sometimes we can get in trouble when we're evaluating uh GMs you know obviously hindsight uh, always works in our favor and it's easy to kind of look back and quibble with stuff but the reason why I feel comfortable with uh, singling out Peter Shirley and the job he's done here is because a lot of this stuff, as I mentioned, is was sort of predictable in the summer and and, can... and predicted. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, actually predicted this. I, it's yeah. like it's yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, p- people like you and I were going on this podcast and writing articles and doing various radio hits, and we were like, you know, Jordan Eberle will bounce back. There's no way that a player with his age and his career track record just all of a sudden in one season forgot how to play hockey. And, you know, as much as I was beating that drum, I still take remarkable joy in seeing just how neatly the regression has happened where he's pretty much back to his exact career averages if you take out last season. And so that's not good, obviously. I mean, the defense, um, as you wrote, is... A problem because the Andre Sekera injury happened in the playoffs, and we knew all summer that this was going to be an issue. And they sort of made this bet on their internal options. And you know, a guy like Darnell Nurse has rewarded them to some degree, and he's looked very good, and that sort of provides optimism. But then, 
the kind of on the flip side, they're also betting on a guy like Matt Benning, and he's just absolutely imploded this year, and they don't really they just haven't addressed it and they sort of have been comfortable just letting that happen and obviously when something like that is going on you can't be surprised that the results are bad i mean we saw it coming and it's kind of playing out right before our very eyes yeah absolutely and i feel like that almost neatly transitions us over to the next guy on the hit list which would be the coach Mm. um the usage of the players has been really interesting in in some cases uh, so there was a lot of talk in the summer about Ryan Strom playing on the top line with Connor McDavid. Yep. Uh, he got one game there in the preseason, and the exercise was abandoned. Excuse me. Uh, like the the way this team was built, and Peter Shirelli talked about this in the off season. This was kind of built to be a three strong centers team to have lines that came in waves where you would have a couple of established guys and then you would have a rookie or a, a lesser proven winger with each of those established pairs. And, and then you might have, you know, three strong lines that could attack. McClellan has steadfastly refused to do that the entire season. He, he made some, some motions during the preseason. Then in the final preseason warm-up game, he went back to doing what he always does, which was loading up his top line and uh, going to a very rigid top six, bottom six model. Um, he has stuck with it basically the entire year. He's abandoned it two day, two games ago. So I'm, I'm very curious how long this lasts mm-hmm. because the first two games under the new model have not been great. But but that's the way this roster was built, and he's never employed it uh, the way the GM had, has envisioned it. We can wonder about why Russell got bumped to the third pairing almost immediately because McClellan loved Russell last year and, and undoubtedly that was part of the reason he was re-signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the new hires, um, Yossi Jokinen comes to mind, he was brought in by the GM in the offseason, never really trusted by the coach, never put in, in a top six position. Um, he gets traded for Mike Camilleri. Well, Camilleri's on the the fourth line as of last night. So, And uh, the young guys that, that Chiarelli has promoted, guys like Jujar Kaira, who's looked really good, um, guys like Laurent Brassois, who you know who got kind of burned last night in in a, a team-wide collapse, but it's never he's had two starts all year, and one of them was a good start. He has had one good start, one bad start, and everything else has been relief appearances. Right. The the coach hasn't been willing to use these guys. So one of the things that has come up a lot is, well, you know, it, it's hard to blame the coach because the GM never gave him the pieces. We don't know that the GM didn't give him the pieces because the coach has never seemed interested in executing the plan that the GM laid out in the offseason. Right. So I, as much as I don't like a lot of what Chiarelli has done, I have to cut him a little bit of slack in that his coach has never executed the game plan the way he drew it up. Right, and we see that with the best organizations in any sport that you know there's sort of everyone's working in, in lockstep where the GM and the coach have a plan or an agreement to the players you're getting. I mean, they're only going to be so good as the coach, as what the coach allows them to be. And that's a big issue. And we need to account for that. And, you know, the thing that stuck, really stuck out to me watching this Oilers team is that beyond, um, beyond McDavid and, you know, a few glimpses of a guy like Yamamoto or, you know, weirdly enough, a, a, a Johan Avitu breaking out of his zone is how slow this team is and how uh, the pace they play at typically and you know part of that is the players that Shirelli's brought in and then and then another issue is I feel like Todd McClellan's system has also been uh a bit disappointing in terms of how sort of how, sort of how they want to play especially with their depth lines where it's a lot of 
dumping and chasing and sort of trying to play that heavy physical brand of hockey, which is an issue because it obviously um, it's it's a bit. I mean, we've seen teams succeed with it, especially in the in the Pacific Division, but it does feel a bit outdated. And it seems like it's kind of weird because this team was billed as sort of this young, up and coming, fast, talented team, and they don't really play like that. So there's a weird imbalance for me there. Yeah, I'm a big believer in in that there are there are multiple ways to win hockey games, but the thing you should do is is tailor your game plan to the talent you have. Mm. The Oilers did not have like if you if you imagine L.A. and uh, Chicago as two ends of the spectrum, or L.A. and Pittsburgh, the Oilers did not have an L.A. type team. They had a Pittsburgh or Chicago type roster, and the, the GM over the years has transferred transformed it from a. Part of the reason they've bled so much talent is because he has been forcing an L.A. style roster there. Mm. Um, and, and part of the problem with their speed, like the, the the dump and chase hockey is really well built for for big players. Right. Like that's that's one of those kind of game plans where big physical players can have success. But they also got to be able to skate because there is a lot of forechecking. Um, and, and outside of Anton Slepyshev, this and, and this is crazy, but it, it it's pretty true. Uh, Drysaddle obviously is the exception, but they don't have a lot of big guys who can also get in there really quickly and, and create havoc for opposition defensemen. Like by the time Milan Lucic gets in on the forecheck, the puck's long gone most of the time. Right. Yeah, you got to actually catch the guy to hit him. Yeah, and and I, I feel like I'm be and and you know what? I should uh, admit some bias here because I, I'm being pretty hard on Lucic. I watched watching last night. He. Uh, did a couple things that just drove me up the wall so there's some residual anger here mm. there, there was one play where he, he went in and he, it was like he leaned on the offensive zone boards for about two seconds while the play was ongoing before he started the back check following the puck out of the zone and it just just blew my mind so if, if i'm if i'm being overly negative towards him it's it's probably and there's probably a couple other players who this this uh, applies to as well Jonathan, based on just, last night's game just let, let it out man this is a bit of a therapy <laughs> session for you too above all else let it out um yeah all right let's take a quick little break here uh to hear from a sponsor and then we'll we'll pick up this conversation because uh we're just getting started on other things anyone can develop high blood pressure fact 7.5 million canadians live with hypertension every day the mission of get down bp is to bring everyone together with the goal of getting blood pressure down in a fun and interactive way so join the community at getdownbp.ca to learn more because getting blood pressure down has never felt so good. A community-based initiative fueled by one of Canada's leading pharmaceutical research-based companies in collaboration with Hypertension Canada. Let's chat a bit about Harry's Razors. We're sponsoring today's episode of Hockey PDO Cast. Uh, the fit between Harry's and the PDO Cast uh, makes a ton of sense because anyone that knows me knows that other than hockey, one of my big passions and something I hold near and dear to my heart is facial hair and the grooming and maintenance of it. Um, I was a proud beard owner for a solid three years before I finally made a big move this summer to get rid of it and go with a more business-like clean-shaven approach. And, you know, it was a pretty massive transition um, that was made as smooth as possible by Harry's and the fact that they were constantly sending me a regular supply of fresh blades straight to my doorstep, allowing me to get as close of a shave as possible um, whenever I wanted one at a supremely affordable price. And Harry's is so confident that you're going to join myself and the 3 million others all over the world that have made the switch to using their product. 
that they'll give you your own trial shave set to give you a taste of what they're offering for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash PDO. All you have to do is pay for the shipping costs, and they'll send you a package that includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. And for those of you looking to get your holiday shopping done early this year, Harry's just released their special edition holiday sets that make for great gifts, so make sure to check them out while you're already there. To get your free trial set or to browse holiday gifts, just go to harrys.com slash PDO. Also sponsoring today's show is SeatGeek, uh, who we need to give some love to since they've been with us since the very beginning. Uh, if you don't know where you're going or you know what you're doing when it comes to buying tickets to sporting events and concerts, it can get pretty complicated and time-consuming. The internet is a very big place, and it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the options and websites that claim they're offering the best seats at the best prices, which is where Seeky comes into the mix because they act as a one-stop shop that searches all those websites for you, pulls together the best deals, and serves them up to you on a silver platter with their color-coded grading system and seamless mobile experience. They're basically putting all the time and effort into it so that you don't have to yourself. And trust me... Um, I use them to get myself some Raptors tickets for when I'm in Toronto next week, and all it took was a couple minutes and a few taps, and the job was done, and it was really that simple. Best of all is my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase today. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code PDO today. Now, let's get back to the PDO cast. All right, uh, let's pick this discussion back up. So, um, Jonathan, I think the, the next logical... Um, sort of place for us to take this uh this Oilers deep dive is sort of you know we've talked about who's to blame and all the finger pointing and something that I've seen come up a lot and you can speak on this better than I can because you're kind of more well versed with the situation but it's it seems like Edmonton Oilers media uh without naming names seems to love uh year over year kind of pointing the fingers when things go wrong at the team's best players and this might be like a league-wide trend, I'm sure it is, but it feels like with Edmonton and its top players, this is like it's more heightened or at a greater magnitude. I don't know. Is that fair to say? I I, I don't know if they've done it overall, but it certainly started uh, in Game 20. Uh, Connor McDavid had a, had a wretched night. He he's missed some time with the flu and stuff, and and there's there's maybe some understandable reasons for it, but for whatever reason, he had a bunch of really obvious giveaways and. And, and bad stuff happening when he was on the ice. And uh, kind of instantly, he was the subject of a ton of criticism. And, and, and part of the, the problem with it was, I, I, I think, like, I wasn't wild about his individual game, but I don't think that has anything to do, really, with the Oilers' record over 21 games, right? Like, yep. a guy can have a bad game and not be part of the problem. And in some cases, I, I don't know if it was meant to, to suggest that he was part of the problem over the 21 games or if, or if people just took it that way. But but to me, it was legitimate to call him out for the for the one game and to say, you know what, he wasn't very good here. But the idea that he's to blame for for all that's gone on in Edmonton or, or even really that he's a contributing factor to it, it, it strikes me as ridiculous. Right. But this, this is a bit, a bit of a recurring trend. I'm sure uh, Taylor Hall yeah. is in New Jersey right now listening to this podcast, just kind of nodding his head in approval um <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's why i come on the show it's yes. it's all about uh, sending subtle signals to taylor hall as he listens in new jersey yes um yeah i mean it it just seems weird to me to um to blame a guy who's on pace for 102 points this season and obviously you know there's more to the game than that but even if he hasn't uh you know 
been at his A game all year or if he hasn't sort of taken an even bigger leap than he did from 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 2016-17 um he's still been pretty damn good and I feel like there's a lot uh other things we could kind of point to as the reason for what's gone wrong I mean I don't know it's it's especially with the defensive side of things it just seems weird to me that like I understand that the top guys are have high expectations of them but I don't know. I did, like whenever the whenever the best player is blamed for a team, I'm always like thinking to myself in the back of my head, well, if the players who were worse than the best player were a bit better, maybe they wouldn't be in the situation <laughs> to begin with. Well, it's it's the same thing um, that happened in Toronto with Phil Kessel, right? Like this this really is a league wide thing where the failings of a team get placed on the shoulders of the team's best player, even though usually if everybody was more like that guy they'd have less problems mm. and and you can see, and, it, and it's weird how how whipping boys sort of emerge from the group so like like Oscar Clefbaum who's another one of those better players but he he really has had a down year in a lot of ways yep um, but he's kind of emerged as the focal point of criticism in Edmonton you don't hear a lot about Chris Russell who makes the same amount of money and is on the third pairing uh, when Adam Larson has a terrible game as he did against St. Louis on Tuesday there's not usually a lot of attention placed on it. Like McDavid got called out after game 20 when he played poorly, but, but Larson was maybe the worst. Well, him and Clefbaum were probably the two worst defenders on the ice against the blues and Clefbaum got pointed to a lot, but not nearly so much Larson. It's um, it's, it's unbalanced. Anytime you take a, a team failing and you put it on one guy, even if that one guy's struggling. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. There's a lot going wrong. And and I wonder with McDavid, it does feel like a little bit, you know, when he has the year he has last year with 100 points and wins all these awards and he's only 20 years old, I think people sort of naturally assume that at that age, like every season, there's going to be sort of the stepwise progression where you're going to get better and better every year until you reach your physical prime. And sometimes it just doesn't work like that. Like if I feel like if he was just playing at this level for the, for like the rest of his career moving forward, I, it would be a pretty, pretty good. I feel like Oilers would still be happy with it. It's not like it's going to keep just going to the moon. Although, you know, who knows what his ceiling is based on his uh, physical talents. I, I think that's a really great point And one that's underappreciated. A lot of times the evolution with players like that, who are so good offensively early is in other areas of the game and not necessarily in their point totals. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons for the, going this way but you look at Sidney Crosby he had 120 points his second year in the league he hasn't topped 110 any of the years since yeah. like you know you might have thought oh he's going to be a 150 point player no it and and there are reasons like injuries and and the decline in power plays and stuff like that but but yeah it's not a straight line to the the top with these guys well yeah I remember the, what was the uh there was like a preseason story about McDavid where it was like what was it could he get 100 goals or was it 200 points or was some sort of like absurd uh, total it's like no of course he's not going to get that no one is doing that that's just not a fair expectation regardless of how good this guy may be so I think kind of settling down a little bit is uh, is probably wise um, yeah so you mentioned Clefbaum there and he's a good segue for us to get into a discussion about the Oilers underlying numbers as a team and you know regression and what we expect from them because you know if you look right now they're I believe third in shot share um and, you know, they're fourth in expected goals and all this stuff. And then you look and they're 28th in PDO. And I think people would mostly be assuming that we would just naturally assume that they're actually really good. And they've just been super unfortunate and we should expect them to bounce back. And I do think it's fair to assume that they will eventually start scoring more goals and getting more saves and looking better in the process. But I know you've been on this and it's sort of 
the allocation of those shots that they're getting because as a team they're getting a ton of them but when you look a bit closer um you know it's a lot coming from the defenseman and from the point and maybe i don't know is it fair to assume that their shooting percentage as a team might dip accordingly because of that like can some of that be explained by that or is it purely just bad luck <laughs> I, I do think it's a combination of factors like people will point to the the analytics and say you know the team will bounce back and, and i think there's truth in it but um here, here's here's one way of framing it i'm working on a piece right now if you look at the oilers top line in, in two years under mcclellan they have averaged uh 68 goals on the year at, at even strength they're on pace for 68 goals again this year. You look at the other three lines in two years under McClellan, they've averaged 83 goals. They're on pace for 68 this season. So that's a that's a 15 goal drop. That's almost the entirety. It's not all of it, but it, that's the vast majority of where the shooting percentage drop is coming. That and that and on defense, and and you don't expect defensemen to post high shooting percentages. And when you look at what they've done with their bottom nine, that includes guys like Jordan Eberle, that includes guys like Benoit Pouliot, players with a little bit more skill. And you look at who they have down there. Yeah, I, I think they'll be better. I, I don't think Mark Letestu is going to go the whole year without being on the ice for a goal four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there there are real talent limitations, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this team came in with a shooting percentage a little bit below the league average at five on five. Yeah, which would obviously still be represent a massive improvement from where yeah, they are. Yeah, from where they are. Yeah, that's why I kind of wonder if, you know, I mean, it was still so early on, and as bad as they've looked, it's sometimes easy to overreact to that and have the lasting image in your mind of, you know, they're giving up eight goals to the Blues and all this stuff's going horribly wrong, and you're thinking that, you know, the world's going to come to an end and they they can't get out of this. But, I mean, there's still 60 games left, and, you know, the Western Conference especially in the Pacific and the wild card seems to be pretty wide open. Like a lot of the teams that are ahead of them right now um, certainly have their own flaws as well. And, you know, we expect Vegas come to come crashing back down to earth eventually. And Calgary has their own defensive issues and, you know, Anaheim is staying afloat right now, but they have a ton of injuries and it's still going to be a while until they get Getzlaff and Kessler back. And who knows if they can hold the four and you go, you go on down the line, the Canucks are playing over their heads. So it's conceivable that, if the Oilers do start getting some of these bounces, they could pull themselves out of this and still salvage this season, but they have dug themselves such a deep hole. So I'm kind of trying to weigh those two things in my expectations for them moving forward. Yeah. I I think, um, I think the standings are misleading at this time of year in terms of how big of a hole it is. Mm. So we say seven points and you're like, well, that's, that's not very much, but, but if you imagine the wild card team, so we'll pick the Ducks because that, that's a good example there. And you imagine them that they continue playing at the pace that they're playing right now. They don't improve when guys get back. They just keep plugging along at a, a 10-7-3 and three record. It's going to take Edmonton, uh, I, I haven't done the math, but it's probably eight straight wins to, to catch up to the pace, right? Right. Maybe, maybe more than that. So we say seven points, but th- those other teams... It's not like Edmonton wins four in a row and all of a sudden they're in it. It's probably more like double that. And, you know, we should point out that I think they'd have to leapfrog, what, like seven teams? and Well, get, everybody but Arizona, right? Yeah, and given how, um, you know, given how the league works with the point structure and how many, you know, three-point games we see and stuff yeah. like that, it's 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 very tough to make up that ground. Like, it seems like, oh, you know, that's just four wins, but it's it's more than that. There's a bit, a bit of nuance to it. Yeah, if if we if we worked under a more rational standing system where every game was worth three points or every game was worth two points, 
and you could really make headway by uh, by winning a bunch in a row, and especially against divisional opponents. Yeah, I, I'd have a lot more time for the Oilers um, rebounding and, and eventually making the playoffs. But when I look at the way the system is right now, it it's very difficult to overcome even a seven point hole. It it's more difficult than we realize. The uh, the parity at this point of the season in a lot of cases is is false. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, is there anything else else for us to cover with this team? I mean, we've done like thirty or thirty five minutes on this deep dive. Um, I don't know. It's I, I feel like we're both sort of lukewarm on it where there's a lot uh, of things that have gone wrong there's a lot of people to blame but at the same time it's probably not as bad as it looks right now and maybe the i don't know like like what's our what's our what's our takeaway what's our what's our what's our our leading line here if we're uh if we're selling this podcast to our listeners if it were me i'd probably say the edmonton oilers are going to are almost certainly because nothing's certain almost certainly going to be better over the last 60 games than they were over the first 20 and, and significantly better, but they're in such a hole right now that it might not matter. Well, there you have it, Jonathan. There you have it. Um, is, has there been, let's end this thing on a positive note. Has there been any team, um, in the Western conference or in the league that has caught your eye from a, from a positive note that have been a lot better than you thought they were? I mean, I feel like the answer to this might be the, those very blues we talked about earlier that, that put a drumming on the, uh, on the Oilers last night. Well, this feels like a a good way to uh, bring it full circle, actually, because although I I did pick Edmonton very high in our preseason franchise long-term rankings, Mm. I I had St. Louis really high as well. You did. And um, that that Braden-Chen trade, that's turned out far better than I think. And and I mean, Chen's riding a PDO wave right now. But but even so, that's a fantastic team. There's a lot of good pieces there. And it's uh, it's nice to see them having some success for a change. And in a year where the rest of the West looks kind of weak, you can make a pretty good case they could. Uh, I, I mean, we're 20 games in, so this is this is crazy early, but you can make a pretty good case for them um, going on a deep run. Yeah, I mean, you look at the standings right now, and you know you have the Chicago's and the San Jose's and the Minnesotas sitting out of the playoff picture, and you have uh, you have Vegas sitting in a second second seat in the Pacific. So I'm not sure how long that's going to last, but it's, uh, it's, you know, I, th- I think you framed the best where um, all the games kind of matter evenly. And, you know, if you let this go on for too long, you can dig yourself a really deep hole and it's tough to get out of it, even if it might not seem like that right now. So the blues, uh, the blues are piling on the wins and that's going to serve them well, even if they go on a hot cold streak and some of these other teams start to catch up on them a bit because uh, they're, they're, building a pretty big distance between themselves and the rest of the competition. Yeah. And, and uh, because you mentioned Vegas earlier, it's, it's funny, like St. Louis is 10 points above the wild card cut off right now. They could play just really mediocre hockey for a long time and still probably make the playoffs. A, a team like Vegas, which has been, you know, lights out good early on. They're only two points above that wild card cut off. Uh, they're, they're in a lot more danger. So when you, when you look at, at which which team's impressive early standings performance is for real, I, I don't think it's a big surprise that St. Louis looks a lot more impressive than uh, than Las Vegas. Absolutely. Um, all right, Jonathan, do you want to plug anything before we get out of here? What are you uh, What are you working on these days? What do you guys have going on at the uh, the Athletic Edmonton? Yeah, we've got a lot going on. Um, I just did a a really deep player by player twenty uh, first quarter dive for the Oilers. I got a got a lot of positive feedback on that bring a snack and, and water if you're going <laughs> to tread into it. Yep. And and then today I, I put up a, a piece on Todd McClellan and and just the, the like the usual move for an NHL team in the Oilers position is to fire the coach, but it's not that simple in Edmonton and I kind of go into why. 
Yeah. Well, I highly recommend checking all that out and following your work. And um, let's get you back on the podcast sometime down the road here, hopefully when we have uh, more positive things to talk about. Sounds good, Dimitri. All right, chat soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs> <laughs>